You're listening to TWN Champions, Episode 7. Champions, arrive! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode number seven. I'm Will, and with me is a woman who leads a life of danger, and to everyone she meets, she stays a stranger. It's Rebecca! That's because I ain't telling nobody nothing! (laughs) Feels like a reliable source of information. (laughs) (laughs) I got my sources. Yeah, no, that... Actually, okay, I know the... Those are the lyrics to Johnny Rivers' Secret Agent Man, which was going to be one of my honorable mentions, so I'm glad we've already gotten uh-huh. this out well, of the way. Yeah, that's a great one. It is a great one. It is a great one. But I got to say, it's I, I do like to remain a stranger to everyone I meet. Though. That, that is, is true. That's a thing. I'm very Yes, secretive. I know that. You like, it's yes. That, it's that big Scorpio energy. I think you would be a good spy. I'm sure we'll, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah. I don't know. You know, what the, you know what the greater good is. You know who needs to know what. I'm also glad you uh, brought up the topic of gossip because this is the part of the script where I usually ask you if you have any and what's been going on with you that I may not have observed. <laughs> I feel like you've, you've kind of been there. Um, here's some hot gossip from our neighborhood, which is someone saw a UFO and they uploaded a video of it to YouTube. <laughs> it was exciting. It was exciting to see. In our literal neighborhood, which is, fun. I mean, it's a very nondescript 1950s suburban neighborhood and uh yeah uh, apparently they they tagged our town on it and apparently not the aliens the youtube uploader yeah, the youtube uploader who is apparently neighbors that we have that i did not know, I know. we could be talking about well, that's yeah that's aliens the they, depending they, on how serious they are maybe they got might get weird yeah they might they might be a little too serious although we were talking the other day about how we've known our uh very up and down, straight laced neighbor who I happen to be talking to about an electrical fire, and he was like, "You know that house across the street's haunted." <laughs> so <laughs> I lo- I do love having neighbor dialogue for so many years. That's just very very straightforward. <laughs> like I love him to death. Our next door neighbor, mm-hmm. he's very different from us. He is very much very much a no nonsense kind of. He's the, he's a neighborhood dad yes, basically. Yes. He's the dad of the block. And we usually are just talking about like, hey, sorry, our yard is terrible looking. Or like, hey, we got to cut the grass. We're going to cut down that tree. Do you want us to cut down that tree? Do you want us to cut everything down? We don't, you know, you know it's always conversations like that. But then every once in a while, he'll just be like, did you know that the house is <laughs> Like an NPC with secrets. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have to revisit that because we got, he also was very specific about the nature of the haunting and everything, but... But, so between but yes, the haunted house and UFOs, and UFOs on our street, apparently think, our neighborhood's a little more exciting than I thought. Yeah, I think things are getting little, weird around. A little here. less safe from the supernatural, which is still fine. <laughs> I don't know; it's still not any weirder than anything else that's happened this year for real. So we're just going to go with it. True. Besides aliens, and not aliens, 
What are we going to talk about today, Rebecca? I feel that no matter what, we will talk about aliens and, <laughs> and also possibly the Transformers. I don't know, what, you, I don't know so. what your list is going to so. be. Did you know that there have been like a couple episodes with Transformer ghosts? Like, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> I did not know that. Thought, is it just like exhaust from the tailpipe uh, <laughs> of, the, of the car in question? It's Starscream. Oh, we'll get to we'll we'll get to start Transformers. Yeah, ghosts. that's not today's topic. Okay, okay? episode seven. We got to start a little more basic. Episode seven. We're talking about spies, and not the Transformers. This is a top eight. This is top. Oh, yep, yep. Sorry, sorry. Let me read the thing. Yes. On today's show, yeah, we're counting down our personal favorite takes on the spy archetype. Yes. I have four. Will has four. It's a top eight. Rebecca, when we're talking about spies, what are we talking about? All right, spies have been around since forever. Mm -hmm. And in fact, certain website that I read <laughs> described them as the second oldest profession. hey <laughs> Which I thought was cute. Yeah. Um, and probably a lot of overlap. <laughs> yes, as as we will discuss with some with the with the femme fatale. Okay. Yes, these are lots of lots of good synergy in these professions. Um, in fact, I would go so far as to say that spying is something that appeals to our very primitive brain, right? Mm -hmm. It's probably, there's probably something in our evolutionary drive to be that we want to creep up on things and gather data, whether it's looking for prey or like sussing out predators. Oh, the hell, you know what Richard, I mean? I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think that will probably explain my number one pick that I've been so excited about. So please continue. I'm, okay. I'm just going to listen. I'm interested. <laughs> but I mean, you know, we're, uh, it, it's something in our, in our little, not our lizard brains, but it may be our mammal brain mm -hmm. where we're trying to suss out data to advance ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's just deep in our DNA, right? Oh, I get it. So it's been around forever. I can only assume that the old timiest of old timey literature maybe mentioned spies. Of course they did. Like I'm sure. I mean, well, I treacherous mean, people. <laughs> I mentioned to you that when I was doing some research for this, that, you know, we were seeing things go back as far as there's been any sort of organized army, or like you mentioned, even just uh, tribal stuff where you're looking for advantages that mean you don't have to depend on force or numbers. And actually Sun Tzu in uh, the art of war back in 500 BC has a chapter called the use of spies. And I will tell you a few points he made because I think it's just helpful information. Like this post if you were 500 BC kid who remembers when Sun Tzu talked about the use of spies and you had to come in when the streetlights came on. Sorry. Go on. A successful and humane sovereign must rely on foreknowledge to avoid grueling marches and unnecessary commitments. So that's just also a okay. practical concern. Here we go. Lay it down. He says you can't rely, uh, you can't get this kind of information from spirits or deduction. You have to get it from other men. And he lays out five different types of spies for us to oh. sort of help you get started if Ooh, you want Which one some. am I? <laughs> so you've got the local spy. You've got inward spies who are like officials. You've got converted spies. Yep. Here's my favorite, a doomed spy, which is your own spy you allow to get captured so they can transmit deception. <laughs> and then you have the surviving spy, who's your doomed spy, who somehow made it back, and they've got all kinds of great stuff. I love how that, ha you know what, he probably just had a list of four, and then one guy came back one time, he's like, well, now I've got, it. where's my scroll? Hold on. <laughs> let, me, let me write this down. Now I've got it's five. like, i got to fit it in the margins. <laughs> You messed up my whole thing, <laughs> Gary. He says you should have a closer relationship with spies than any other type of unit in your army and to reward them lavishly. 
So okay. even as far as 500 BC, important. Yeah. Uh, even the, in the Bible, the Hebrews sent spies to Jericho before they're going to go blow a trumpet. It's like, it looks like we could blow a trumpet at that and yeah. that'll help us. And then Jericho did a lion tamer on him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, set us up for Y2J. <laughs> remember my bible history <laughs> oh good night all right well so so that so first of all that's hilarious i, yes. I love all of that now um from crimereads.com here here's some stuff we're going to talk mm-hmm. about the modern spy okay story. i was going to ask okay. you yes so the modern spy story i'm reading so this is not my words um, originates in the disturbed state of European politics after the 1878 Congress of Berlin and up to the First World War. Mm-hmm. So here's the, the, the foundation groundwork, okay? The two most influential of all spy stories were published at the beginning of the 20th century. Both were British. Rudyard Kipling's Kim, 1901, okay. and The Riddle of the Sands, 1903. Erskine Childers' story about preparations for a clandestine German invasion across the North Sea. All okay, right. those they sound great. I, I want to read like them. They sound like great books. So you you got lots of good ones to to pick from in the early twentieth century, and then of course it gets really crystallized and folded up into the James Bond novels by yes. Ian Fleming. Uh, it, which started in nineteen fifty three. Okay. All right. So spy stories are that old, and then I would say that for as long as the genre has been around. As long as that archetype has been around, there have been spoofs of it. Uh-huh. Like the spoofs kind of go hand in hand. Because, That's a great point. Yeah. yeah, it was just such a easily spoofed and parodied thing that every time we think about spies, we're thinking about parodies of spies as mm-hmm. well, which will also explain my picks. <laughs> well, especially in like the 60s and 70s, like the heyday of like National Lampoon and everything, spies were also super popular right then. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah. So. Can I also make a point about, you mentioned uh, James Bond and about how there, there being something uh, innately appealing about them. I think there's something here about the appeal of taking a shortcut that really appeals to Western and American people too. Like if you're a spy, you're not one of the people lined up with a musket ready to take one to the face. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, yeah. you, you think you're going to use your superior intellect and skill to get what you want without following the rules or the script that everybody else has to. That's kind of the same thing we were talking about with the Ranger archetype yeah. as well. Yes, I think so. And I know James Bond's British, but there's something really American about that. And I'm even thinking about really... British people are over there like, what? We can't... What? You're saying James Bond? We can't even have James <laughs> Bond now? No. Well, the unflattering part of James Bond. Like, for me, I'm thinking about the most pitiful expression of this in American culture is like coupon hunters. Like, I'm smarter than everybody else. I'm going to get around this. I'm not going to pay full price like a dope. Also, like, people trying to just wear out a salesman is sort of the same thing to me. Like, <laughs> like I'm not going to follow the rules. My cunning and superior intellect yeah. and my principles are going to mean that I'm not going to have to get in a line. And there's a way around this because I'm different. Yeah, they they think that it is their cunning and, like, exceptional intellect but really it's just everyone else is tired it's just like whatever buddy just go ahead i don't just get out of my face i don't care and i think that's why james bond is so why we like the james bond thing so much is because again like that's what i would do i wouldn't follow the like i could get in there and get what i want without doing that other stuff that's that's appealing yeah that's me james (laughs) bond is just like me okay do you want to start us off rebecca with your first pick that we can feel confident about Number eight. This isn't a game. 
I send you out there before you're ready. People die. No one's made to die. I can take the pitfall from the devil. Except for all the people I'm going to kill. All right, I'm going to start us off with a really fun one. And at number eight, we have Jean-Claude Van Johnson from the show, the short-lived Amazon Prime series, Jean-Claude Van Johnson. And this is something that if you have not heard of this, I'm going to enlighten you and it will enrich your lives. I have not heard of this. Okay, so, you know, a couple of years ago when everyone's like, we're all going to do original programming and... Uh-huh. Amazon Prime is like, we're going to do it too. We're, we're just as good as Netflix. Just, and you know, they weren't, but they got a couple of wins in. And one of their wins was this series that exists in one season, Jean-Claude Van Johnson. It stars Jean-Claude Van Damme mm-hmm. as himself, but mm-hmm. a version of himself who is actually a secret agent. And he just takes direct-to-DVD terrible movie roles in obscure locations so that they can serve as a cover for his being an actual undercover agent. Yeah, that's great. Okay, it's really cute. And it's only like a six-episode order that they had, so it tragically was cut short. Now, I know, Will, what you're thinking. Uh You're like, that sounds like a really cute premise, right? Yeah. That is the literal words I was thinking. Yeah, you're like, that's cute. (laughs) You're like, Becker, that's cute. I love it. Where'd you get it? (laughs) You're like, you would say, that sounds like a good premise, but like, could they execute that? Or is that just too winky and too annoying? But it's actually really well written. Uh Like, I wouldn't give it my endorsement if it weren't. Well, he had a lot of success with that JCVD documentary or whatever that was kind of like a half documentary or whatever. So he must like really... This really that format that genre really works for him, I guess. Yeah, and he plays self-aware very uh-huh. well. And then the jokes are, of course, meta and very referential to culture at large, which is why this is a spy spoof. But he's also playing the role, you know, earnestly um, at the same time. But it's, you know, it's it's cute. It's very popcorny. It's very actiony. It's got great choreographed fights, and it's shot really cinematically, and and it's actually visually really fun to look at too. Um, and they even have little throwaway visual Easter eggs that I thought were kind of funny. Like in the pilot, he opens up a cabinet in his sterile white home that is all beautiful. And the cabinet's just full of plain strawberry unfrosted Pop-Tarts, <laughs> which I was like, Will would like this. I do. It's my favorite flavor. You and Jean-Claude Van Damme in this in this show are the only people in the world who love the plain strawberry unfrosted Pop-Tarts. I do. I really like them. But I was like, this is this is definitely going to get Will on on. A good formula side. is a good formula. Blasting something with more flavor mis- disrupts the formula. Well. Say all the spies. <laughs> yes. But anyway, if you've not seen it, if you have a chance to get on the Amazon Prime video, I think it's definitely like a really fun and easy watch. And I've, in the pilot, I laughed out loud a couple of times, right. not even lying. Uh, Felicia Rashad plays his what? boss. Oh, that's I know. Great. It is great. Does he do a split ever? I mean, it comes up. <laughs> okay. Okay. And lots of kicking and, and so forth. Great. So anyway. It's a good it's a good romp. Check it out. But he's a spy. They're taking down like drug lords and and so forth. He's he's working for an agency that is not entirely well defined, but you know, an agency of good guys who are mm-hmm. secretive. I have a similar organization to that I w- I, I want to talk about. You That's have good. one personally? But yes. anyway, no, yes. No, what Jean-Claude Van Johnson. It's adorable. You should watch it. Awesome. 
it is hot over here. It's like the sun's right on me. Yeah, I do think that, that the window is probably playing into that. <laughs> Number seven. The Soviets can't behold Tanya near Grodno. The prison is well guarded, but a supply truck from a nearby Soviet base runs through the facility several times a day. If your spies can infiltrate the war factory, they may be able to hitch a ride into the prison compound. Once you have found Tanya, get her out of there any way you can. The year is 1996. The movie Phenom just hit theaters, and you're wondering whether God is one of us or just a stranger on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm back there. I feel like I'm right there. Also, the Allied forces are battling the Soviet Union for control of all Europe. This one is ridiculous and maybe even hard to talk about, but it was the very first thing I thought of when we chose this topic. I'm talking about the Allied spy from Command and Conquer Red Alert for Windows 95. <laughs> That's a deep cut, my friend. <laughs> it's the first thing I thought about. He stands out so much to me. If you're a PC nerd, you probably remember this was a real-time strategy game like StarCraft or the early Warcraft games, and they all had like a real heyday in the 90s. Are you, are you up on these games? You know what I'm talking about? I, yeah, I'm familiar with them. I've never played okay. them. I did not have a computer in 1995. <laughs> I think we can all know that. You were, pump, you were pumping those AOL online CDs, I think, the into the computer to get online. I was going to say, maybe you were, but we were using them to like shoot skeet with them <laughs> for the longest time. It's fine. I got a computer when I went to college. Continue. <laughs> For people who aren't as familiar with these as Rebecca, this is, <laughs> uh, you might, a good reference for this is uh, in the BBC TV show uh, Peep Show. Uh, there's a scene where Mark is at his computer and he's sullenly deploying oh, tanks God. to run over people. I love that show, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the game Risk where you see a big map and you deploy units in, in real time. It's really fun. Like nerdy kids who don't go outside. Well, it's it's like, am I even having fun anymore? Like, does it matter? I gotta win the war for the Germans. That's that. I think scene. that's the one. Yeah. I think that's the one. Oh God, that's I love that show. Anyway, oh, yeah, but yeah, no, I I I get the zhuzh of right. Them. Okay. So the spy is the best unit from this game. Command and Conquer, I I think is fair to say is like the grandfather of the modern good ones. Uh, and the spy was the best part. He was like. 12 pixels, but you could tell he was wearing a tuxedo and he's <laughs> supposed to be James Bond. <laughs> and they've got, they didn't invest in voice actors. So whatever 20 year old programmed the whole game, he's doing like a poor Sean Connery. And every time you click on him or tell him to do something, he goes, for king and country. Every time you tell him to do anything. <laughs> for king and country. So here's the fun thing about him. He's not practical to build at all. He's way up the tech tree. He's too expensive, and you have to handhold and manage him to do everything on the map while you should be tending your base. So if you build him, it's because you want to be a real jerk to whoever you're trying to beat. Because it is the most humiliating thing in the world to have the spy get in your base and infiltrate one of your bases. When you'll hear, uh, you know, your base has been infiltrated. It's the most humiliating, violating thing in the game. And yeah, the that guy in a tuxedo just walked right through <laughs> yes. the front gates. And they're getting all kinds of information about what you're doing. Should you blow up your warehouses or should you take the risk? If you've been playing your friend over the modem, this is the best thing to do because when you get on the phone later to brag about all the great stuff you did, you want to mention how many spies you just pumped in their base while you should have been building a legitimate defense. 
And I feel like if you had a friend who was not a long-term thinker that you ever played against, (laughs) they would be very annoyed by that. Yes. A lot of people will have their very specific strategies, you know, where you're going to do your rush of the little units, or you're going to climb the tech tree, or you do your scouting. But some people are just like, I'm getting the spies in there, and I'm just going to be a jerk and wrap this up if if I can. Well, sounds like that's how you win the game (laughs) to me. Number six. The girls and I talked about this, and we came up with some great ideas to get the whole community involved. For example... Now that was a real dude pick, which is great. (laughs) We like balance here because here I've got your girl culture pick from the 80s coming in at number six. We got my girl Annie Herman, Troop Beverly Hills, 1989. Oh, funny. Okay. Okay, Will, I would like for Will to recount the plot of Troop Beverly Hills to us. Go. Oh, Shelly Long. Yeah. That is who it was. Oh, yeah. Okay, remember in Suburban Commando when Shelley Long is in no, it? No, it's Shelley Duvall. Oh, it's <laughs> <laughs> Shelley Duvall. Okay, Shelley Long. She had the, the the cute bouncy red hair. Yes. Okay. So somehow I've... she's in charge of the Beverly Hills Girl Scout troop because she wants to spend more time with her daughter during okay. the pending divorce between her and Craig T. Nelson. Oh, right. Okay, and she needs to show that she's grounded to planet Earth somehow. Yeah, and she wants to spend time with her daughter. Right. You mentioned that part. Yeah. And then <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then so she comes up with these like ridiculous Beverly, 90s Beverly Hills type of merit badges for them to do. Yes. So she joins her daughter in the Wilderness Girls troop, which in Beverly Hills is fading and failing. They're doing bad because you know why? It's very hard to get Beverly Hills people involved in wilderness training because the Wilderness Girls is a poor stand-in for Girl Scouts, except a bit more hardcore. So as you can imagine... Her delightful Beverly Hillsness of of it all ruffles a few feathers in the higher-ups at the Wilderness Girls. And the antagonist is the very severe head lady in charge of the Wilderness Girls who hates what Shelley Long is doing. And she can't stand it. She's like, look, you can't have campouts at luxury hotels, Shelley Long. And you know what else you can't do? You can't give your girls patches and diamond appraisal because you can't do that. And you're terrible. So she sends a little spy. And the spy is a very mousy lady named Annie Herman. She's supposed to infiltrate the troop Beverly Hills and then spy on them. But she's what our guy Sun Tzu would call a converted spy. Because she has a change of heart, of course. Yeah. Because she realizes that the girls of Troop Beverly Hills are just, you know, living their best lives. And that they're all well-intentioned and loving souls. And this is one of those movies that just like, I got to watch it about once every couple of years. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just really good. So... Culturally, here's why it's my pick. Culturally, it's because in the 80s and always, we love a good evil dojo, Uh right? It's the blonde-headed karate kid dude who's from the evil dojo where your master's not telling you the right stuff. And you're like, oh, the blonde-headed kid with the spiky hair is, is doing bad. Okay, so the evil dojo in this case is the wilderness girls from the Red Feathers troupe. Mm -hmm. And their blonde-headed leader, blondes are evil. By the way. What? Does this belong in the family of the... There's a very specific 90s comedy movie aesthetic of all the ones we like, like the Adams Family, the uh, Beverly Hillbillies. It, it prefigures. 
figures that a little bit, I think. Yeah. It's it's almost there. It's almost there. It's, it's, it's very right on the similar. Cusp. Yeah, it's, very it's similar. right on the cusp. But it's it's really it's a charming little movie. Everyone should watch it. And you remember that when it's time for them to do their big cookie fundraising thing, which they did rip off from real life from the real life Girl Scouts, the Troop Beverly Hills girls put on a concert extravaganza mm-hmm. to get people to buy the cookies. And like the song that they sing is one of those things that can just make my world right. 100% when I think about it. Like, I'm going to make, I'm I, gonna make you play a clip from it, Will. So just make sure, just cue, cue up cookie time. It's cookie time. A box of them would be so nice. Number five. See, there's this sort of clan of ninja thieves, a really secret group that call themselves the what? Huh? You've heard of them? Yeah, well, the word is out on the street that these guys are looking for anybody they can find with martial arts talent, hmm. especially teenagers. Hey. And if, if, if I let myself get recruited, guess what that might lead us to? Ah, uh, no way, Kino. Forget about it. Hey, and believe me, I really hate to say this, but the kids no. got a... Why not? Why not? Too dangerous. You know who does not make a good spy? Ninja Turtles. When they're being spies, they're spies. Well, (laughs) that's why I almost picked Raphael, because he always went out in the trench coat to blend in, which is one of my favorite things to see in the movies and the cartoons. Everybody's like, he looks like a normal man. Yeah, right, yeah. Well, yeah, that is cute. But instead, I went realistic, still Ninja Turtles, and I want to talk about Kino from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Okay. Did you watch the Ninja Turtle movies? I did. I definitely watched the second one because I was a Vanilla Ice fan. Yeah. As we all know. As we all were. I was um, a playground favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I definitely watched it, but I have no memory of it because I haven't watched it since then. Well, do you remember he was their human friend? Kino is a teenage pizza delivery boy who knows jujitsu. Helps them, okay. Helps them with some rob, you know, uh, foil some robbery thing, and he meets the Ninja Turtles. Okay? okay, okay. So Kino has the perfect undercover agent story. This is like textbook works. He hears there is a gang of teens called the Foot Clan who are looking for other teens who are like into martial arts and stuff. So even though Master Splinter forbids him to do it. Raphael helps Kino to go to the secret Foot Clan junkyard arcade arcade super fun meeting place so they can see what Shredder's soldiers are up to. Okay, yeah, he's definitely being a spy. Yes, Yes, he is a textbook spy. 100%. Yeah, no, you didn't have to argue for this one. Okay. Check it out, man. Anything you guys want, we got. Anything you want to do, do it. I'm saying anything. You got any cigarettes? Regular or mental? Well, the reason he all, I always remember him is because of that very stressful scene. I don't know how many times I've watched it where Kino has to pass a test to go undercover to be in the Foot Clan. Like, they're not going to let him in just because he got to Orange Belt like I did in his YMCA karate class. Mm-hmm. Uh, to go undercover, uh, to blend in, sometimes there are tests, so... One of the coolest things in that movie was when he has to pass a stealth test. He has to swipe, like, a couple of bells from this mannequin without making a sound. Okay. Uh, So they drop a smoke bomb, and when it clears, he's got, like, all the bells. And he's like, is this enough? But 
The thing is, in the movie, to make it cooler, they made all these like sounds while he's, you know, swiping all the bells. And I always felt like he that did was, make sounds. Yeah. He and and so I was really torn because I really wanted him to get in the foot clay and but also <laughs> I was thought it kinda wasn't fair. He kinda did make a lot of sounds to get those bells. Yeah. And I was real stressed out for him. The Foley artists should have known that. Yeah. They should have known that children would not stand for that. Yeah. So it was very you know, a lot of mixed feelings about that. I had a karate belt test, but I threw up during one of the katas, so I didn't go up a whole step. Uh, <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Did you throw up from nerves, or had you just eaten something I weird? I ate something weird. I ate something it weird, because like we always go to uh, Tallahassee, the big city, to go do the belt test, and I think we went to like a buffet. Like, I'm going to hit this Golden Corral so hard before we go yeah, work like, out. Yeah, here's some like lukewarm chicken and a big pile of corn. I believe it was corn dog was my meal. Corn dog. Oof. <laughs> Uh, good things could not happen with a corn dog. Uh, fun fact: in the first Ninja Turtles movie, uh, the Kino actor was Donatello for all the action sequences. Oh! Next pick. <laughs> Number four. Hi there. Are you interested in the White House? <laughs> I work there. I'm the press secretary. My name's Jerry Ross. Maybe you've heard of me? At number four, we have another pick from 1996. Oh. Martian in a woman's suit, Mars Attacks. Oh, cool. Okay. Okay. Now, I, just, can I, I don't want to interrupt you, but can I just commend us for getting away from 1986? Yes. So we just went exactly 10 years. Now we're going to be on 1996. That's okay. I have another. Uh, I, you know, it's okay. We're mixing okay. it up. Please, and, please continue with Mars Attacks. I'll let right. you get in more than two words now. It's it's really fun. All right, so uh, this is a 1996 Tim Burton film, and uh, in this film, Martians are coming to Earth to destroy it. You know, like they've always wanted to, and in they're trying to infiltrate the locations of world leaders so they can get out and zap everybody with their ray guns because that's all they do. They just get out and zap everybody with their ray guns. They're awesome. Um, so the Martian in a woman's suit. This is a play on the femme fatale uh-huh. kind of um, trope. Because um, it's very, very obvious that there's something off about her. And the the joke, of course, is that, like, a, a stupid man won't notice. Yeah. And the stupid man who gets duped by her is Martin Short playing a very sleazy White House press secretary. Oh, I forgot about okay. that. So um, she has the best look because she's wearing this. First of all, she's absurdly tall. Uh-huh. She's wearing a mermaid fishtail gown with a big bouffant hairdo and she's got a very conical bosom and like padding in the hips. So she looks completely alien, but like a beautiful lady, right? And then when she walks, <laughs> she kind of rolls, and then she sways her arms back and forth. It's in almost a, like in she's a, a like a wind-up toy, the yes. way she moves, yes. because it's so rhythmic and evenly pulsed the way she sways. So, I mean, it's a fantastic character, and and she's in one really memorable scene in, in the whole film, but you should definitely watch the film, because it's very cute. <laughs> I need and to also, these are cute. And also, uh, Pierce Brosnan, James Bond, is in that film. Yes, he is. Yes, indeed, he is. But yeah, um, I, I think it's a hilarious play on it because she's spying the whole time. She's got a little ring that's like a Martian uh-huh. eyeball, and she, you know, they're looking for the president. Cause that's God, that's that so to much get. better. Than, oh, sorry. That's not so much better than I remember it. Um, I think it is better than you remember it. <laughs> Honestly, no, seriously. Like, I, I watched it very recently so I could get the whole thing, and it, it was really good. 
And this film has an amazing score by Danny Elfman. Uh-huh. Theremins abound. Yeah, I bet. And it just it's it's glorious. It's really fun. It's a fun film. But yeah, no, the the Martian spy is maybe the best part of the whole movie. But she's hilarious. She's a hoot. That's the funny riff on the on the sexy lady spy mm-hmm. because it's like the joke is. Of course you should have known she was a spy. Yeah. She looks like nothing real. Like, <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, that movie has everything, including a young Jack Black doing a questionable Midwestern accent. Oh, weird. That he didn't know what the accent Why was. Why didn't he just speak like he spoke? That would be the Midwestern accent. I don't know. They try to make them redneck, because oh. Tim Burton also has a very tenuous grasp on different pockets of American yeah, culture. Yeah, or normal humans. <laughs> or normal <laughs> Human interactions, you know. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's, it's, it's a fun film. You can, you can find it around. Number three. So, why don't you tell me who you are? Who you work for? I think it's obvious. Same people you work for, the Federation, Starfleet. You don't expect me to believe you're with Internal Affairs, do you? No, of course not. Internal Affairs is a competent department, but limited. So which department are you with? Let's just say I belong to another branch of Starfleet Intelligence. Rebecca? I think it's time you came clean. What is Section 31, and is it related to Forever 21? It is not. Except they have outfits. Yeah, that's... Section 31 <laughs> is the thing where where uh, uh, the evil version of Philippa George, Georgiou, Georgiou, uh, where she gets to wear cool outfits. Yeah, they. Uh, that is that is probably the number one thing I would say about them is their outfits. Is it is it more black leather or is it black vinyl? <laughs> <laughs> it is affordable. <laughs> black vinyl is is superior now because obviously we don't want to kill. Oh, I guess kill so. Animals and it looks you know, a little more futuristic. It has a little more of a sheen to it. I, I guess. suppose. Yeah, it okay. still just looks like vinyl. It's okay. Okay, I would say if I have to pin this down to a person, I'm going to pick their their most notable operative, Luther Sloan from Deep Space Nine, who was a part of Section 31. Okay, I forget that Section 31 was a part of Deep Space Nine. It was a big part of it. I forgot. I don't remember. I, I'll get to that. I'll get to the what do we remember TV. of that. It's a miracle that I remembered <laughs> as much as I did. Well, since you remember so much, why don't you tell us about Section 31? So Section 31 is something that I feel is canonically dubious in Star yes. Trek. Be- Man, you're just getting into it. I know. Well, see, and I didn't remember it. Now here I go. Okay. Um, because it is like sort of like their secret mm-hmm. spying operations for Starfleet, right? Mm-hmm. And we're all like, isn't that completely against right. what Starfleet is supposed to stand for? Because mm-hmm. we're supposed to be like, you know, dignitaries and ambassadors and doing first contact right and science and friendship and diplomacy. But Section Thirty was like, what if we were spies? Yeah, that's what I was. I was gonna. I was gonna talk about. There's there are like a rumored off book division of Starfleet, and it's never exactly clear, even between different Star Trek series, whether they are actually provisioned for in the Starfleet charter, or whether somebody just decided they were going to start telling people this is true. That's what and, I think happened. And they were going to sort of work rogue. Um, I'll yeah, give... because who... Okay, you can make up that you're part of a secret yes, spying organization to anyone. You You'd should be just like, join the Boy Scouts and, and... Like, I'm part of a secret yeah, I'm a spying organization. Scout. You can ask them, but they'll tell you we don't exist. Exactly. <laughs> so, because we don't. Because I made it up. Their big, their big thing that they say is that they're necessary 
to do all the dirty work so legitimate Starfleet can keep its hands clean and operate in good faith or at least have plausible deniability. I'm heading up Section 31. Well, you were always more comfortable in the gray areas. But like we were saying, really, I think it's mostly just a lot of posturing and secret organization stuff. It's just because they don't want to wear regulation uniforms. They <laughs> yeah. just want to wear something cool. Right, right. It's for when you're in Starfleet, you're like, I cannot starch any more cuffs. Like, we, I cannot do this. We want to wear the stuff that we can choose in Star Trek Online. Like, yeah, like the tacky stuff. <laughs> yes. I want a big pink stripe up the pants and up the side of my face. <laughs> it's funny you got into what you couldn't remember because I had specifically written a note to remind myself of, what do you remember about them? Because before I looked it up, it was all very nebulous and uh, weirdly plotted uh, in all the episodes, but uh, some of the main things they did uh, happened probably in Deep Space Nine. I think that's where they first came up, where Operative Luther Sloan uh, tried to recruit Julian Bashir to, to spy on the Romulans. Oh, right. I, that okay. was a big deal, because he was Brit, you know, had the British yeah. accent, so they were going to try to do that. And then they got Chief o poor Chief O'Brien doing something where... He got caught, and then maybe he's really a clone now in continuity. I, I forgot. It gets real messy. And then they start... It sounds like it. They start using them now. I think they're more to um, be like a mood thing or hint at dark corners of the universe. And they are definitely something that Gene Roddenberry would not have wanted in I the show. I think not, yeah. I was going to ask if you like them in the show. Do you think they're I helpful? Do, I do. Do we like when they show up or not? I have a hard time with it because I understand plot-wise why you're going to need that. But Star Trek is like our escapist civilization porn. Like, we don't have a lot of, uh, I don't know, things we can look to and be like, what if we lived in a society that was more like that? Mm -hmm. So I actually get annoyed when Star Trek is like, let's make this gritty. Because it's like, no, this is my utopia. Let's all be in Starfleet and work toward the greater good against a common enemy. Yeah, if you're creative, you can still think of a good conflict. I think, yes. I think that's a really good point because I don't mind there being darkness in Star Trek stories, but I don't like the darkness being endemic to Starfleet. I think that yeah. Starfleet can reckon with darkness, and that's what makes them even more noble, but they can't be infested with Section yeah, 31. I, I, I really don't like that. I really don't like the infestation at top levels, and they'll be like, but this is more realistic. It's like, we don't want it to be realistic, okay? <laughs> we want to shoot for the stars, metaphorically and literally. Just let us have this! Do you think anybody from the TNG cast would approve of Section 31? It's just like that wouldn't even compute with the universe I, that they right. have set up there. You know what I mean? You're like it's right. just it's it's like it's like a holodeck fantasy. There mm -hmm. you go. It's a holodeck program. And Wesley Crusher has to come and be like, Stop, you're all playing this game too much. Yeah. That's that's a different episode. <laughs> so I don't I, I but I, I agree to, to 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 tie it up that I don't think they're really sanctioned by Starfleet. I, that's the what I have to tell myself. I even think it's okay for Starfleet to have like an intelligence agency. Sure. That's fine. But these guys are too in love with their own mystique and I think work too autonomously. I just, I don't like them. I don't either. But I wanted to mention them because, um, I don't know. I feel like they test my feelings about spies. I have very strong feelings about <laughs> them. They're, they're notable. They're, they're, they're no, notorious. And, and, and you know what? Maybe, maybe it makes me like the, the Star Trek crews more because usually our main crew members have to stand up against them. So... That's how I'll, I'll justify it.
And I guess I will say, because this will this will segue into my next pick, I will say that if you really are a good spy, if there really were a section 34 or whatever, <laughs> they would be very uncool people. They would not be like the coolest guys. Right, right. You know what I mean? You can't stand out when you're wearing black leather thigh high boots. Yeah. You tend to. You would be a vest man. You would be. With a You'd be the most makeup. boring one there. Right. If you were a good one. We're here to negotiate treaties for grain transfer. Exactly. (laughs) That's your spy. I roll. We got their number. We told them. We got Section 31's number. Section 31. I didn't know. I was thinking of Rule 34. I was too. (laughs) (laughs) Which probably involves some aliens. I'm sure there's plenty of it. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot to ask you if we think that their uniforms are cool or trashy. Trashy. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I even love that. Number two. I'm loath to say that the function of science is the discovery of metaphors for subsequent development in the arts. But that's one way in which I interact with science. All right. Now, coming nicely into my number two pick, just on the tail end of what we said there. Um, I am going to pick someone who is n- my, my only really, truly earnest pick. Okay. And someone who I think exemplifies what an actual good spy is like, and that is Malcolm Polstead, Philip Pullman's The Book of Dust. Oh, cool. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He's a boy spy. Yeah. All right? Oh, he was a very traditional, it seemed very much like a British spy story. Yeah. Yes. So... Um, if you're not familiar with the young adult literature works of Philip Pullman, who is a treasure, I think, yeah. I will say that among YA authors, he's pretty much the only one I can tolerate, we'll just say. I, I, yeah, we talked about this. I almost have a hard time calling it YA. It's only YA because of the themes that show up. It's sure. just a well-written book. Yes. And, and, all of them. And it's YA because it's, you know, the protagonists are young. And yes. then because he doesn't need to describe the breasts of every woman he sees. <laughs> right. So therefore, it's YA, whatever. But Like certain files. <laughs> like, like maybe files. some other things that yes. pop up. Um, but this is a really earnest take on the trope, and um, this character, Malcolm Polstead, who is the protagonist of The Book of Dust, he's got this very plain, sweet earnestness to him that I find very moving. Like mm-hmm. I, I find this whole world, I, I feel that Philip Pullman is just masterful at building a world where the stakes feel very real and very high. Um, if you don't know anything about the fantasy world of Philip Pullman, basically it's sort of like an alternate history where the main um, tensions in the world are sort of between church and state or church and science mm-hmm. and kind of the three of them all all wrapped up together um, and uh, lots of power struggles there. And of course the characters in the book get all wound up in those things. But that that's generally speaking. And I will just say that this is maybe... I don't, it's one of the most well-drawn fantasy worlds that I think yeah, I have ever read so anywhere. Yeah. Uh, this is the Golden Compass trilogy as well. If, you, if you've not, if you're, if that, you're waiting for some bells to ring, that, that should ring a bell. Uh-huh. But yeah, there's not even really a whole lot to say about that because I'm definitely not going to spoil this book. It's mm-hmm. pretty recent. The main character in the book, Book of Dust, these are actual prequels to the yeah. Golden Compass trilogy. Um, is just a very sweet innkeeper's son, and he—he's gets... a local spy, and he is a local spy. Yes, <gasps> Sun Tzu coming in clutch yes. again. <laughs> I love it. 
But um, it took me a while to actually sit down and commit to reading this book because the beginning is very fanciful and storybookish. And I was like, ugh, not in the mood. But I'm glad that I did get over my little hump of impatience <laughs> because honestly, it really is just a, a really nice adventure story, a really well-drawn world. And then this character is, is very endearing. Um, it reminded me a lot of, if you watch the uh, series Turn, America's First Spies, oh. um, it's very much a great local uh, spy story. And that uh, fantastical part you're talking about at the beginning, when I realized it was that kind of setup, it made it easier for me to get into because they're mostly just setting up what are the normal things happening right. in town? Who are the players that are going to end up being involved in intrigue? And uh to, to your point, I mean, it was a it was a great story and he's so likable because I think Philip Pullman does such a good job of balancing moving the story with actually talking about what people would actually be thinking in those situations. Yeah, it's yeah. not a it's not an arm's length sort of story. It's, it's really, really good. Yeah, read it. So he's a great spy. That's a great pick. OK, before we name our top spy, we feel compelled to list some honorable mentions. This is kind of funny because I already mentioned like two of mine, which was Solid Snake and Johnny River Secret. <laughs> well, we know they're good then. To that list, I would add Archer, and then I would oh. add um, Clash from Jim and the Holograms in one memorable episode. But oh, funny. Okay. We're going to talk about Jim and the Holograms eventually. It'll happen. I'm surprised oh. that didn't happen more with Jim. It probably it did. It, it did a lot. I'm going to say the Get Smart Agents 86 and 99. Okay. Uh, Veronica Mars. Oh, duh, doy. Uh, you talked about um, parodies of spies. I was going to say the spy versus spy spies from Mad Magazine. Yes. I like those guys a yeah, lot. Yeah, great yeah, great character design, yeah. And then we talked about them a little a little bit, but um, Abraham Woodhull, from, uh, who spied for George Washington, as seen in the series Turn. Okay. Which had some great fops, by the way. A lot of officers doing tittering, like yeah. in bars and stuff. Will loves tittering in I, shows. I love a long face and somebody who's just <laughs> like a real jerk who just... Yeah, I wow. love that. Oh, also the Ropers from Three's Company. We're always coming over <laughs> to see what people are up to. What's going on here? Any funny business? <laughs> well, that was an unexpected pick. <laughs> So, who's your number one spy of all time? Number one! Case 101. The Whistler's made his move. Use your spy tech binoculars to keep him in sight. He's coming your way. The spy tech intruder alert detects his movement. You've lost him. Set up the spy tech long range microphone. You can hear the smallest sounds like they were right up close. You've got him now. So this is the closest I will ever get to picking myself, I think. I'm so excited about this one. My pick is the kids from the Spy Tech toy commercials. <laughs> you know what? This is a daring choice. Let's <laughs> let's hear it. Let's hear it. We discussed, I don't think you had toys in the 90s. No. Okay. I was a woman. <laughs> I don't know no. if you know about these then. These are plastic detective toys but real honest to god working detective instruments okay I, they were great uh, let me tell you let me tell you what you get from the spy tech line these are some of the best ones i can remember you get expanding binoculars a telescope fingerprint kit motion detector long range mic walkie talkies hidden camera mirror sunglasses 
I never And they all like work? Yeah, they really work. That's amazing. I never hear people talking about this, but it was a very good toy line and really good commercials and I was insane about it. Uh besides the Proton Pack, I had this stuff on me all the time. I even had the dumb accessories like the tech vest to carry all my detective garbage just weighted down like <laughs> right, a when fisherman. You're, when you're a spy, you want to wear a fisherman's vest yeah. full of objects that look high tech. I'm clattering around with them real stealthy. Like my fingerprint kit, kit is slapping my butt while I'm walking, you know. It had a little zip this is thing. for spy stuff. Okay, I wanted to mention this because I was laughing so hard remembering how much my mom hated it. She hated these Yet toys. Yeah, she still indulged you and bought them for <laughs> yes. you. Yes. That's good parenting. I think dad liked them a lot too because they were very like dragnet looking. I, I needed to talk about this because my mom hated it. The main activity during the day for me was spying. That was the most fun thing to do because there's nothing to do in town. Yeah. If my parents were talking, they might see a little telescope come <laughs> around the corner. <laughs> That's why your mom hated it. There we go. There it we go. was funny, but also must have been infuriating to I'm see sure. that. It's like, oh, come on. And she'd be like, she would not even look up from her books. She'd be like, I can see you. I can see you. Take out the garbage. Uh, and okay, and here's the thing. If you got seen, if you do log rolls or forward rolls, that makes you invisible. And then you can just reset. Well, that's kind of how the stealth system worked in Skyrim. I think, I you think log so. log roll away in sneak mode, then like, okay, I'll, we'll go. I forgot about that guy who just tried to shoot an arrow <laughs> yeah. at me. My cousin taught me that. And after he did, you know, while everybody be eating at the dining room table, I'd just be rolling around like a jerk while they're trying to <laughs> eat stuff. To, got to reset. Uh, also, it got really annoying because we got serious about it. My sister and I learned to pick locks with a long metal rod that came from an engineering set I had. And we would go around the house and we would practice and, and pick all the, all the locks in the house. That was a lot of fun and they hated that. Oh, yeah. Also, I had that fingerprinting kit and the, a fingerprint powder everywhere, just on top of everything. Got to get those <laughs> fingerprints. Got to lift them with the tape. It looks like mom was here at the... <laughs> Coffee pot. <laughs> exactly. Another mystery solved. <laughs> Who got the coffee this morning? Mom and I, and, and I left little fingerprint cards all around the house for the babysitter. A little mystery for her to figure out. A little, little fun for her. I'm sure she was very concerned. I would like to know that there was a real crime that ever got solved with the real <laughs> spy tech toys. Like, if you're innocent... And how come the neighbor child saw you with his two-foot telescope? <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere it had to have happened. I loved, I loved these things. I think it was one of the best toy lines. And it sounds like it. Oh, the, one more that she hated was the motion detector. There was nothing more she hated than carrying laundry into your room and hearing beep, 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 beep. It's like, yes, I'm here again with the laundry I did for you. Thanks for alerting everyone. <laughs> The spy tech intruder alert detects his movement. How much do those toys go for on eBay these days? I don't know. I'm not I sure. I, I, yeah, you don't hear nostalgia for them. I guess because they were probably kind of pricey, I would imagine. Like, I don't know. Maybe not. You could do some real detective work with them, though. They were really cool. Good. You could solve the case of the... What has the dog been eating? Secret Agent Man. Secret All right, well, that was a good list. 
You know what? It was a good list. I wasn't even sure how I would go, how I would fare with spies. Yeah, but I was really into one, that list. Though. This one was weird to me too. I didn't. I had a hard time imagining what I was getting into. But I think we, I think we ended up accidentally learning some things. I mean, I think, I think we can see the the natural appeal we have to yeah. spying. We talked about that. We talked about different types of spies. We figured out about the uh, an important thing about Star Trek that we had never said to each yeah. other before. But Which, now we now we agree. Yeah, if nothing else, I think this show is helpful for us to uh, calcify a lot of the unspoken <laughs> conversations between each other. <laughs> so I, I know everyone finds that very helpful. <laughs> yes. Maybe it helped you to discover some feelings about Starfleet. Yes. Maybe you're totally cool with Section 31. Maybe this is what you needed to get your own spy organization off the ground. And if you go to eBay, you can get some crappy little toys that will help you. You got a motion detector. Well, if you have thoughts about this list, and you know what? I would like to hear some thoughts about this list. <laughs> or uh, or your own suggestions for the list. Uh, you can email us at rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com. I don't know if people email anymore. Uh, but you could talk to us on social media, and we might share some of your thoughts on the next episode. Uh, Rebecca, where can people find us on social media? You can find us at Twitter. <laughs> That's not how you say that. <laughs> You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter. You can't find us. (laughs) I'm malfunctioning. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram. You're going to use that whole thing, aren't you? I don't know. Please edit it out. Or you can visit... I think Rebecca's a doomed spy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fixing to be... Or you can visit thewizardsnightshirt.com to find out about this show and our other shows, like Curdle Holler, our original Halloween comedy series. Which, by the way, we have a Halloween special coming out yes, for you is. at the end of September, so be ready. I'm writing while I'm supposed to be at work as we speak. Yay! And our uh, complete archive of our Masters of the Universe review show. Or join me at twitch.tv slash on Wednesdays at 3.30 Eastern Standard Time as I stream about audio production and arrangements. Yeah, the, the what song you're working on now is going to be a fun one to listen to. It's got a lot of good parts and stuff. Oh, uh, also, if you look in, listen to our old He-Man show, there's a great She-Ra episode where uh, they think that, is it Broom is a spy? There's oh, a good, God, there, I forgot there's about that. There's a really that. good spy episode. And I think we did a little... Well, they had uh, to interrogate people. Yeah, and when we wrote a little uh, audio play about Broom... And, and uh, one of the little sprite people the being spies. The Spriggins, or yeah. not Spriggins, the, twi- the Twiggets. Yeah, so that's a good we, one. We did a 21 Jump Street parody. Yeah. What episode was that? <laughs> well, well, maybe I'll put it on Twitter. I'll, I'll share it on Twitter. All right, all right. Thanks for listening to this show. Please listen to this show right now. We'll see you next week when we call forth new champions. And we're spying, so we'll know if you don't. Still